Exactly. Because sometimes the person closest to you may not be the right person just because they'd be so emotional during the situation that you may want someone who's a little bit more detached or maybe could be more rational in that situation. And, you know, part of working with an attorney on your estate plan, as opposed to like going through online and trying to figure these things out, is that your attorney, when you're working with them, is helping you make strategic decisions and helping you factor in who's right for what in all of these roles. Welcome to The Uncensored Show with your host, George Atchampal, where we share the mindset, tips, tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. When it comes to leaving a legacy, a lot of different things could come to mind, whether it's, you know, simply having a, a child to carry on that family name or whether it's accumulating a lot of wealth while you're here and leaving that behind for your loved ones. Whatever leaving a legacy means to you, you want to make sure that you protect it. And so that's why I wanted to make sure that I had a guest on the show who could help us understand the value, impact and importance of estate planning. So Delana Barbie is the founder and managing attorney of Barbie Law Boutique, PLLC, where she helps service providers and creative entrepreneurs build and protect their businesses and legacies with strong business foundations, intellectual property protection and estate planning. Prior to opening her law practice, Delana worked in corporate law department of a Fortune 100 company and in the general corporate services and technology practice groups of a law firm with approximately 300 attorneys. She received her BA cum laude from Smith College and her JD from the University of Connecticut School of Law. Delana is a frequent speaker on topics related to her practice and has spoken at conferences and appeared on radio, television, and podcasts just like this one. She was named as one of the 40 under 40 business and civic leaders in her community by Business West magazine. Delana resides in Springfield, Massachusetts. So guys, you guys are in for a treat. Uh, You know, sometimes these types of topics are very complex, hard to understand. And she does a great job of breaking down the core things that you need to think about when it comes to creating an estate plan. So tune in. Let me know what you think. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Podcast. And today we have a a very special guest because, you know, there's a part of financial planning that sometimes a lot of people don't think about, especially our younger generation. You know, all we think about is accumulation of wealth, right? Which is a great, great and important aspect of financial planning. But another important aspect is protecting that, right? And making sure that you're able to properly pass that down to the next generation or the loved ones that you care about. We know all the wonderful things that you were able to do in your lifetime. So I've been wanting to have a an estate planning uh, attorney on the podcast for a while now. So I'm very excited to bring this guest. And so with no further ado, Delana, how are you? I'm doing well, George. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I know this can be seem like a complex topic to many. So we're just going to kind of hop right in. Um, Like what is 
Well, actually, before before I do that, you know, I know we just heard the uh, the formal intro, but, you know, I always like to give my guests kind of in their own words while they're on the show to just share a little bit about, you know, who they are and what they're all about. So let's start there. Sure. So my name is Delana Barbie. I'm an estate planning and business attorney out of Springfield, Massachusetts. And I got into the law because, you know, it was something that was important to me as I learned more about economic development. And I wanted to be a business lawyer so that I can contribute in a different and unique way. I know that I hadn't seen any business attorneys that looked like me at all, um, but I had met other attorneys who practiced and got a chance to talk to them. And I thought that being a business attorney could be a great way to contribute to the world, to my community. And as I learned more about that, I also learned about estate planning and how estate planning is key because it's also, it's a part of um, once you work for everything that you have, making sure that you are able to secure those assets and able to pass it down and create a legacy with everything that you work for. You don't want everything that you work for to pass with you. And so estate planning was important to me to add on to my practice and that's pretty much what I do. I help people uh, build businesses and share their legacies. Awesome. Awesome. And so we'll talk more about the business piece in a little bit as well, because uh, for those that know me that through my firm, that's a lot of who we work with, uh, you know, entrepreneurs who are trying to build businesses that they're really, really passionate about and helping them do that, you know, the, the right way um, from a legal standpoint, a financial standpoint is always is always important. And so, you know, could you just kind of break down at least at a high level, like what exactly is estate planning? Estate planning is a way to plan for your life and for your legacy. It focuses on how to plan and protect you, your stuff, and your loved ones. And I like to say it's those three things, you, your stuff, and your loved ones. And I think a lot of times when we think about estate planning, we're just thinking about the stuff, the assets, what I have. But an important part of estate planning is also um, yourself. And we'll talk a little bit more about how to capture that in estate planning. But it's something that you want to have as a key component of your planning. Got it. Got it. Now, that's, that's, I've never heard it put uh, that simply. So that, that makes a lot of sense. It's you, your stuff and your loved ones. I love that. Yeah. OK, so, you know, at least for me, and I, I know a little better now, but when I hear the term estate planning, I'm thinking about somebody that's wealthy, like I have an estate. Right. Like and I have to plan for that estate. So like is the state planning only for individuals who make a certain level of income? It's not. And so I always say to people, if you are an, an adult with a body, you have an estate, you have an asset, you have yourself. And that's because when you think of estate planning, it really is broken down into two components. The first part of estate planning is what's called incapacity planning. And incapacity planning means that you are planning for if some type of illness our disability makes it such that you can't make your own decisions and someone else needs to make decisions on your behalf. And so, for example, health care is an important part of that. So when you do your estate planning, one part that you don't want to leave out is who can make those health care decisions on your behalf. And because all of us who are adults have our bodies as long as we're here, this is something that you need to do as part of estate planning. So it's not tied to how much money you have. And the second part of incapacity planning is putting into place someone who can handle your financial affairs. So again, that is not dependent on how much you make. Adults, generally speaking, if you're taking care of a household, you have bills. 
Um, you may have a job, you have a lot of things that are going on, and you need someone to be able to manage your financial affairs. So that's something that, again, is not dependent on your income. You want to have that be part of your estate planning. Now, when it comes down to the legacy planning, which, which is what I call it, the second half of estate planning. So again, there's incapacity planning, and then there's the legacy planning. Depending on your assets, depends on exactly what type of planning you'll do, because if you have more assets, there may, may be different strategies. But I like to say, no, if you're an adult, you need to get things in order for yourself, no matter what you make. That estate word, I think, is the word that really scares people because they think of an estate as this huge property that I must <laughs> have to own right. before I go meet with a lawyer. And that's just not the case. And sometimes, you know, when you really think about it, when you have some lower assets, something happening to you where you're disabled and unable to make your own decisions for a short period of time can have maybe even a more material effect on you than someone who has more assets who could lose something if things are just not planned for correctly. But you, if you're, for example, living um, paycheck to paycheck or close to it, if you don't have someone handling your financial affairs and you're unavailable, you have to think about how that will impact your life. So it's worth getting planning. Got it. Now, that's that's very insightful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So I know that when it comes to estate planning, at least from like the, the document standpoint, like in terms of like what how it's scripted and you know all that good stuff, you can either have a will or a trust, or maybe even in some cases, maybe a combination of the two. Could, can you explain the difference in, in a will or a trust and when it might make sense to have one or the other? Sure. Actually, before I get into that, I realized I didn't give my disclaimer. So whoever's listening to this, just know that this is not legal advice at all. <laughs> this is just general information for your educational purposes for you to learn more about the subject. But definitely, if you are thinking about your estate plan or just need any specific information to your situation, definitely seek a legal advisor on that um, who can advise you specifically. 100%. I always have to throw that out when I'm talking about investing as well. So I, I, I get it for sure. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned was a will the only thing that you really need to worry about, right? Correct. In terms of a document? Mm-hmm. So I, I see that as a common misconception. Um, I hear a lot of times where people will think, well, if you have a will, your entire estate plan is done. But a will only handles one specific thing. So your will is put into place to handle what distribution of your assets once you pass. So anything that goes on in your life, your will does not handle. It only comes into effect when you pass away. And at that point, it helps whomever, um, you know, decide who's the personal representative, the personal representative being the person who's going to handle your estate and make sure things get paid and things get distributed. And then it also talks about who's the beneficiaries who are able to get your assets. Um, it does not avoid probate. So some people think, well, I don't have to go through this probate court process. If I have a will, um, things will be simple, but not necessarily. Your will is a public document. So once you pass away, that would get filed with the court. Anyone can see what's going on there. And your assets are still going through the court process with a will. So that's key to just know that. Um, some people will decide to actually pair their will with a trust. A trust document is private in the sense that that's not a document that will go to court. Now, you wouldn't necessarily just want a trust with no will because with your assets, they have to be retitled, meaning renamed in the name of the trust so your trust will own your property. But if you leave something out, you would still want to have a will that would handle that just in case there's a mistake or 
you know, oversight. But the trust document is a private document that you can put into place and it gets administered outside of the court process. Some people will think about pairing the will and the trust. Again, it depends on your assets and what makes sense for you, if you have minor children and things like that. And we can get deeper into that if you want to. So that's, again, mostly what you focus on for legacy planning once you pass. Now, you still have that whole situation what's going on if you were to be incapacitated. And people are likely to go through disabilities through their life. And some of those disabilities or illnesses can be serious where they can't make their own decision. So I want to touch on a couple of documents that you want to consider having in place during your life. Perfect. The first one is your health care power of attorney. So your healthcare power of attorney is a document that you put into place to have someone appointed to make your medical decisions on your behalf. It would also typically include language that allows them to see their me- your medical records and things like that so that they can make an informed decision. So the healthcare power of attorney is key. Now, when you're making those decisions, you have to think about who's the right person, who has the right temperament, who might be more in line with what you want, who can handle that type of situation where you're ill and they have to make those type of decisions on your behalf. That's one document. Got it. The so, other thing, so can I say something okay. real quick? Because that was really good. Because yeah, sure. something I didn't think about is oftentimes people would just default to like, oh, who am, who am I the closest to or, you know, whatever. But the reality is you actually sounds like you want to be more thoughtful about who would be the best equipped to make those decisions in that moment, which could then there could be a lot of variables that could determine that. So that's that's a, a perspective I hadn't heard before. Exactly. Because sometimes the person closest to you may not be the right person just because they'd be so emotional right. during the situation that you may want someone who's a little bit more detached or maybe could be more rational in that situation. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, part of working with an attorney on your estate plan, as opposed to like going through online and trying to figure these things out is that your attorney when you're working with them is helping you make strategic decisions and helping you factor in who's right for what in all of these roles um, because that is a key component of your estate planning is that you're putting people in different roles to handle things in the event of x y and z happening so your attorney is sitting there with you and helping you think through situations that you might not um, be thinking about just because you haven't seen as many, as many of these cases and your attorney is just more familiar with these situations right so instead of it being just like like a check in the box exercise on legal zoom you don't know you don't have any context of what you should be thinking about that's the value of advice from a professional because they're going to help extract things that you didn't even realize you needed to be thinking about exactly exactly and now another document you might want to put in place is a financial power of attorney it's usually called a durable financial power of attorney and speaking of appointing people a common misconception is that your healthcare power of attorney and financial power of attorney the individual in charge has to be the same person and it doesn't have to be so there might be someone who you say is great to be the person who's your healthcare agent but you don't want them to be your agent for the purposes of finances there might be someone else who's good at that and so that's also something that you want to think through as you're making these decisions. Got it. Yeah. For your financial power of attorney, they can handle not just your bank accounts, but, you know, um, accessing your mail. Sometimes it could be as broad as being able to access your online account. And I like to emphasize that not all documents are created equally. So when you work with your attorney, you want to talk about how broad or how narrow you want those rights to be. Makes sense. Awesome. Are there any other documents that we should consider? Yeah. So for my parents out there, you also want to consider guardianship. Now, oftentimes your will might have in place something regarding guardianship. 
But again, that's only in place if you were to pass away. And so you don't want to rely on that document if, you know, something happens to you and you're not able to make your own decision. You still want to put a separate guardianship nomination in place so that in the event that you're unable to care for your children, um, maybe something happens to you and your partner at the same time, there are those decisions in place as to who can take care of your child and uh, support them. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Welcome back to another segment of Fix Your Your Finances Friday, where every single Friday we help you fix your finances. And this week, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the due dates of all your bills, because sometimes it's not just about the cash that you have, not about how much money you make or how much your bills are. It's about cash flow. When are these different things due? And you'll be surprised at how much easier it is to navigate your cash flow if you adjust the due dates of some of your bills so that you don't have everything coming out at one time, right? So what I want you to do is kind of write out all your bills, see when things are due, and see would it be helpful or beneficial to space out the timing of when certain things are due. Most of the creditors, most of the people you have your bills with, maybe with the exception of like your rent or your mortgage, they will let you switch your due date, especially for credit cards and things of that nature and your car payment. So if that will be helpful from a cash flow perspective, based upon when you have other things due, go ahead, and make that call, make that switch. And uh, you'd be surprised at uh, how that might help your cash flow. Another thing that could help your cash flow is looking at um, some of your bigger bills and paying them incrementally. Don't wait to the due date. But if you know you got this $1,500 bill, Maybe the first time you get paid, you pay $750, and the next time you pay $750, so that you never have this really big bill at one time that you have to pay, right? But the goal here is just to identify what moves you can make that will help with your cash flow and better help manage the money that's coming in. Hope that's helpful. Let's get that done. And thank you for tuning in to another segment of Fix Your Finances Friday. And so, you know, we, we've primarily talked about, you know, individuals and their family and their loved ones. And, you know, my next question is, is there any like special considerations for business owners? Right. And this is maybe even a selfish question. So I know that I have, you know, multiple businesses and right. One of my businesses, I do have a partner and we have, you know, business continuity plan and all that good stuff. But like, what is the approach to estate planning or like business succession planning? And how does that all fit into what we're talking about? Yeah, as a business owner, it can get a little bit more complicated. And it really does depend on, you know, whether you're a solo out there working, or whether you have partners with you, as you mentioned, you want to have an estate plan for your business, as I would call it. Sometimes people call it business succession planning. But really, at the heart of it, there needs to be some plan in place. Because especially for those who are solo. I mean, if you're running your business and you have no plan and whatever happens, you're not able to run your business anymore. How does someone make the determination of who takes over the business or how to wind it down? Or did you want it to be sold? Is there someone else who's an employee in your business who would be right to take it over? And what that, what would that look like? Um, And then if you have a partner They have to decide, you both have to decide, honestly, how things would work in the case of something happening. So if someone gets disabled, someone passes away, even sometimes divorce is factored into um, the the documents that you would put into place. How does that work? Who buys what assets? So 
everyone who has a business um, should consider doing this. I mean, it's just at a basic level, the right thing to do if you're putting your heart and soul into your business is to adequately plan for your business. Generally, when you have a partner, you'd have something in place called the buy-sell agreement, and you might already have had that. Right. So with the buy-sell agreement, what you're doing in there is detailing, uh, again, the provisions of how things are transferred in the event of someone passing. So a good example of this is if someone were to pass, do you want their spouse now to take over their share of the business or do you want the opportunity to buy them out? If they were in a divorce and the spouse got entitled to certain assets from the business, is there some provision in there that says that you can now buy the uh, portion of the business that the spouse has gotten? Um, if they're disabled for a period of time and unable to participate in the business, what does that look like? So that's all covered there. Um, but then again, even with solo business owners, you should think about how you're going to pass it if something were to happen. The other thing is uh, your trust can own portions of your business so that if something were to happen to you, the trust continues to own the shares of the business. So that's another way that, you know, business planning and estate planning crosses. I don't like to get into that on podcasts because it gets complicated. <laughs> but when you work with your attorney and you have a business, please disclose that you have your actual business. They should ask you, but just let them know so that your estate planning and your business succession planning can be done together so that you're fully protected from both angles. Um, for my people who have professional businesses, there can be limitations on who can run your business. So that's of increased importance. So my lawyers, medical professionals who are out there, not everyone can just step in and own your business. So you want to take even more care on making those decisions. But please talk to your lawyer about all of that when you meet with them. Got it. And and that's so helpful because I think, you know, you know, most entrepreneurs are just head down, you know, building and ambition and taking it to the next level. And, you know, granted, when you're when you're not here, like it. You might say, oh, it doesn't matter. But if you're if you put any amount of effort, I mean, most entrepreneurs are putting years, even decades or more of effort into building something. You want to know that that legacy is going to carry on. Like the last thing you want to do is put your put all that effort into building something. And then the moment you're gone, it dies with you. All right. So I think I honestly think, I, you know, just from hearing that, I feel like, you know, business estate planning or succession planning, whatever you want to call it. That, you know, is equally, if not more important, because like you have to create this framework for what is this business going to look like, you know, when I'm when I'm no longer here. So someone can step in. I guess one of the questions that comes to mind is a supplement to that. Um, and maybe this is just a part of the state business estate planning process. But are there certain like business practices, like from an operational standpoint, that business owners should be thinking about? along the way to make it more plausible? Because it's one thing to have this great document in terms of like what it's supposed to look like. But if you don't have the systems or the infrastructure or process in place for it to actually happen, for someone to be able to step in, then it kind of becomes an effort and futility from my vantage point. So could you shed any light on that? Do you have a perspective on that? Oh, yeah. So that's a good point. If you just have the document and you put it on the shelf, <laughs> it doesn't really work out that well, does it? Right. So definitely. So when you're by yourself, even if it's, you're the only person working in your business, you should start to write out the processes in your business. 
And so you write every single thing that you need to do. You write down, you know, the type of tools that you use. So if there's certain software that you're accessing, um, put that down. If there are key suppliers, so especially product-based businesses will have suppliers, but even service-based business owners may have suppliers that they work with. Document who the sole suppliers are, contact information, all of that that you need to put into place. And have that in a safe place. Also, whoever you have in mind to take over in the event of something happening to you, let them know where they can access those materials so that they can get them if something were to happen. So continually, you know, even on a quarterly basis, maybe, you know, review those uh, operating procedures, review the documentation of who's your key suppliers, your software vendors, and all of that. So that it's the most up to date, so that if something were to happen, it's just a matter of someone getting a binder or online file and being able to step into your shoes and make your business run as smoothly as possible under the circumstances with that type of transition that's happening. Because again, like um, as I often say, you don't want to come out of the hospital after something dramatic happens to you where you already weren't able to make your own decisions and then you come out into chaos. I mean, it's a blessing that you're here, but at the same time, you don't want to come out into chaos. So having those things in place is so important. And actually, um, for individuals, it's equally as important. So you want to document all of your assets, what you own in one place, so that if something were to happen to you, someone can get that document and figure out where's what, what's going on with you. And they can handle your affairs without too much disruption being put into place, whether that's because you're incapacitated or whether that's because you've unfortunately passed away. Got it. Got it. No. Um, the, the more of the story is that I'm, that I'm getting from all this is, you know, whether it's your life's work and your personal assets or whether it's your business, you know, you want to put yourself and your family, and your loved ones in a position to where, you know, it's a, a seamless, relatively seamless, um, you know, transition, right? Because, you know, there's there's so much that goes into building your business and, you know, your own personal wealth. You just want to make sure that everything, you know, gets to where it's supposed to go. People are taken care of because that's the last thing you want to be worried about. If you're gone or incapacitated, it's like, you know, your family and loved ones are already grieving. Last thing you want them to have to worry about is figuring out how to properly navigate and sift through all this stuff. Exactly. Especially when it's available for you to actually plan. Not just because I'm an attorney, I'm saying it in general, that you should have your team of advisors in place. You should have your estate planning lawyer that you can go to. You should have your financial advisor that you should go to. You should have a CPA that you can go to because they all function in different ways, but they work together to help you to protect your assets. So your CPA can help you with tax savings so that you're not unnecessarily paying taxes that you don't legally need to pay. And your financial advisor can help you find different financial tools that can help you maximize the money that you have coming in or help you find um, insurance products that can be helpful to you. For example, um, many people will get different life insurance policies, not just to bury them as they pass away, but also because the life insurance policy can be a way of securing wealth for the future. And so if you have minor children and you're worried about something happening, well, if you have that life insurance policy, you help secure their 
future if something were to happen while they were young. And if nothing happens, it's extra money for them in their adulthood, uh, possibly. And your estate planning attorney will kind of work in the middle of all of that and ensure that the way that your life insurance assets come in is protected in the best way to be distributed out to your beneficiaries at that time. They ensure that when they're working on your estate plan, they can work with your CPA to ensure that the tax savings occur, even if you were to pass away and your family gets the benefits of the uh, permitted tax savings. So really think about having a financial team if you're really serious about building wealth. It's important. This podcast episode is sponsored by Battery Exchange. Let me tell you a little bit about Battery Exchange. I'm actually really good friends with the founder of the company, and the company is great, right? Because if anybody knows me, my phone always dies. I mean, all the time, no matter what. And so what they do is they help you live life charged. Why? How do they help you do that? So they have smart kiosks around the city where basically you pull out your phone, you search where the kiosk is located, and it'll show you where the kiosks are, and you can basically check out a portable battery, right, for a nominal cost. So whether you're out on a town with friends, you're at a concert, uh, you know, you're out to dinner and you're like, man, my phone's about to die. Instead of having to ask the bartender, hey, can you plug my phone up behind the bar or trying to figure out where you're, you know, you can plug your phone up. You can just locate one of those kiosks, check out a battery, charge on the go. You don't have to worry about your phone being somewhere else or your phone actually being dead, which is the worst possible outcome. And literally, um, it charges you know, very, very rapidly. I actually got a chance to use it uh, multiple times and it works really, really well. And they're going to help people stay connected, right? Because if we're being honest, our cell phones are a vital component of our everyday life. So if you haven't checked it out before, check out Battery Exchange. Uh, they are rapidly expanding. So kiosks will be popping up everywhere before you know it. Um, but if a kiosk is available near you and your phone is about to die, don't fret because Battery Exchange is here to save the day. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, I think where people get a little overwhelmed, though, is like, you know, even the thought of it, right? Saying, "Oh, I have a, a financial advisory team, or, or, you know, a state planning attorney, or you know, a CPA." It, it can feel without context, like, one, who am I to even need all that stuff? And then number two, am I in a position to where, you know, it makes sense? And I know earlier in the podcast you talked about the fact of why it does make sense. But I, you know, I, I even see just the myths that I deal with and people just thinking, Oh, well I don't make enough money. I don't need a financial advisor. Like that's actually the main reason why you need some type of advisor to make sure that what you do have, you know, is protected as well as possible or maximized as well as possible. But I say all that to say from your perspective and you don't necessarily have to, you know, speak to all aspects of the advisory team, but how can someone approach this in a very like pragmatic way so that they can at least have some level of foundation and then know that they could, you know, build on it as time as time goes on. So they just don't feel so overwhelmed by the fact that this is too much for me right now. And I just I'm not in a position to really be addressing or handling all this. Good questions. I love that. So. It is. It can be overwhelming to say, oh my goodness, now I have to find three of these people and I have to interview multiple people to find the ones that I like. I don't even know if I need them. What do I even do? So the first thing that I want to say is 
to your point of someone saying, who am I to need all that? I have to say, who are you not to think about who you are? Okay, I like that. You are building wealth. That's what you're saying you're doing. You want to leave a legacy. That's what you're saying you want to do. So start to be serious about that. And part of that is, you know, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations where it's some, it feels foreign, but it's going to help the objectives that you have in mind. So get that limiting belief out of your mind that you're not worthy of having a CPA. You are. And when you're looking for your advisors, don't worry about looking for everyone at one time. Meet with one because typically they will know the other person because we, we work as a team. 100%. So, yeah. So if you work with your estate planning lawyer, let's just say you go there first, you meet with him or her and they help you. As they help you identify issues, they may say, oh, well, have you thought about life insurance? Have you thought about tax savings because you have a certain amount of income and um, there may be an estate tax if something were to happen to you? So have you thought about meeting with a CPA? And if you say no to those things, don't feel embarrassed that you don't have it all in place at that point. What they'll typically do is say, I have so-and-so who I've worked with often and um, I can help facilitate the conversation or they'll give you their card or something of that nature and help you move on to the next person. But they will help you with some type of direction. So just start with one, go with that. And then from there, you can move on. Just try not to feel overwhelmed because I, if you feel overwhelmed about it, you're going to procrastinate and not get any of it done. And that's just simply not worth it. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And so, you know, we're, we're living in a, in a different age now, right? Like, you know, our parents' generation, you know, estate planning was pretty straightforward, right? What do you own? You know, what do you owe? Like, you know, it's pretty easy to wrap your head around. But now we have this big digital footprint, right? We, you know, we have social media. We have, you know, the websites. We have all these, you know, digital assets or digital footprints, if you will. How has that shifted or how has that factored into estate planning now because i know most people i mean unless they have like a social media team you know they're the only ones that know their passwords right or and stuff like that so what does that look like because i mean it's not something that we've always had to to deal with and i think it's obviously even more prevalent with just the landscape of how the digital world is growing even more so now in in the pandemic so what's your perspective on how people should think about that is it just you look at it like everything else and you include that as a part of your um, estate plan, but just what's your perspective on that? You are correct that it makes things a little more difficult um, because it just, like you said, if you're the only one who accesses the account, um, each different social media platform has its own terms of use. So if you actually look at the terms of use, depending on which platform you're on, some of them limit your ability to have someone access the web, the account after you pass. Some are okay with it. Um, Facebook actually has internally tools for you to be able to do so. They actually have a legacy tool. And so you can appoint someone who also has a Facebook page to be able to um, manage certain parts of your account, not everything, but certain parts of your account if you were to pass. Otherwise, it gets frozen. But there are those different terms and conditions. So the best way to handle it I've seen so far, or one of the ways to handle it, I won't say the best way, but is definitely putting it in your estate plan still. Uh, you want to have that covered in your documents so that, theoretically speaking, it's covered and someone can access it. Now, the practical part of them actually getting the authorizations um, that they need can be difficult. Um, if you have a business account, that's 
part of the business assets. So the business is separate from you. So I'm, I'm saying generally that someone should be able to step into place and run those accounts because it's the business and the business is going to survive whether you're here or not, so long as um, it's being managed. Got Definitely it. when you're working with your attorney, consider digital assets. And most attorneys nowadays who do estate planning would consider digital assets a part of the plan. And I actually created a resource. If you go to barbielawonline.com slash asset organizer, that's asset organizer at the end, you are able to download a workbook where you can put all of your assets in there, including your digital assets, because again, it's important for someone to at least know what's out there and um, put it all in one place. Now, depending on your comfort level, you can put certain levels of details, but the key is to get everything in one place, at least as a starting point for you, uh, for many of the reasons that we're talking about now. Some accounts will let your personal representative at least download what you have, so they won't let them go in and change anything, but they'll let them download the information that you had on there. So you at least want it in place so that they can manage anything that they need to manage. Got it. Okay. Now that's uh that's very helpful to know. So now let's have a let's have a little bit of fun. Let's uh, just a couple of things I I want to ask that I think will just help shed some light on the importance of estate planning. So can you can you recall with I guess it probably would have to be an example and not somebody you've actually helped for obvious reasons. Um, but can you recall or are you have you been privy to a situation where proper estate planning was really like a complete game changer. And this could be either in, in a good way or a bad way, right? Because we've always ho- heard these stories about like, you know, Prince or these other famous public figures who just didn't have their estate plan in order and what that meant. Do you have any any, any examples where uh, it was a, a really a really big game changer, whether in favor of the estate planning or the lack thereof? There are so many examples of this. And I think one of the ones that comes to mind, obviously I don't, no disrespect at all but i know that with the recent franklin situation my understanding is that she had a handwritten will and in certain instances there is permitted to do a handwritten will i'm not sure about her state or what that looks like because it really depends on state but there was some concern over authenticity is my understanding of that and without proper estate planning my understanding is that the taxes on her estate are going to be significant And so with that, a lot of what she worked for is getting diminished just because of the decision not to do the estate planning with an attorney. And, you know, everyone has their own feelings about coming in and having these types of conversations. It can be difficult. So I understand it. I won't say that I don't understand why anyone wouldn't do that. I get the discomfort with going in, talking to someone who may be a stranger and having these types of sensitive conversations. And so, you know, she did I guess what she thought was right, you know, writing it down. But without the strategic discussions with an estate planning attorney, what was missing is that tax saving strategy. And also the fact that the argument is, well, is this truly an authentic will or not? I think there may have been even two handwritten wills that were found. So which one comes later and things like that. So again, that gets at the point of what we were talking about earlier and having that strategy in place. I've also seen people use online um, sources and where they knew what they wanted. They have a pretty simple estate, so it's nothing too difficult. It's it's simple. They don't have that many assets to worry about. However, they have some. And so they go online and, and think that, well, I can just put in this information. 
But what the online websites are doing is really just pulling in what you're giving them. They're not necessarily analyzing that information on your behalf. And they have disclaimers that say they're not giving legal advice. So they pull that information in and they spit the document out. And seeing some of these things, you see what the intent is. But you also know that if this goes to court, this can get thrown out. And so it's, it's as if the person had no estate plan at all. Or what you do is cause more confusion that leads to more money being spent because families are disputing things. Um, so I think those are the two examples I'll share. Got it. Okay, no, that, that's that's helpful. Uh, so another question that, that comes to mind is, you know, you always hear about, well, you almost can't say you always, maybe I'm just immersed in this stuff. But sometimes you hear about like these really like advanced level stuff that you can do when you when you plan the right way. Right. And oftentimes it's sometimes associated with like trust planning and things of that nature Um, to give, I guess, a a cultural example for all of my power watchers. um, (laughs) You know, they show the scene at the at the end of the series when Ghost essentially was still able to control things because of how he had the trust set up. Right. So I guess my, my question is, do you have an example of just kind of the the power Right. Just proper estate planning and being able to leverage that to just really do some unique stuff that you ordinarily would not be able to orchestrate. You almost made me jump out of my chair. (laughs) First of all, I love power. (laughs) Me too. Me too. (laughs) And trust can be amazing tools. Now, this goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about before. So with your will, you know, assets are getting distributed out to whomever is your beneficiary. With your trust, your trust is holding the assets. So, for example, if you have a home, your home gets retitled in the name of the trust. So now the trust, technically speaking, owns your house. So if you pass away, what you have in your trust is a successor trustee. So you name someone who takes over the trust if you're not here. So unlike a will where everything gets distributed out, you pass away or even if you get sick, you know, the successor trustee steps in and just continues to manage the trust as if you were here. Obviously, there are certain things that um, then take effect that are in your trust when you're no longer here, but essentially it just continues. And so when you see in power with ghost saying, well, no, Tariq, you're not going to be able to get this until you finish college and you have to have these certain grades and things like that. Yes, with a trust, you can put in a lot more stipulations. And so for some people, they'll decide, hey, that's what I want to do. I don't want a will where everything just goes out to someone to to perhaps be mismanaged. I want my assets in a trust for the benefit of whomever, in this case, Tariq. And in order for Tariq to get this, he has to satisfy these particular conditions. Um, Not everyone is that restrictive. (laughs) (laughs) Not everyone's that restrictive. But Tariq shouldn't have got nothing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have got anything. You're, you're right about that. But what you'll see more often than that is ages for children. Or sometimes, so it'll say, you know, hey, this person gets a distribution at 30, um, they'll get 25%. At 35, they get another 25%, and so on. Or sometimes the trust will last forever and the assets stay in the trust to help maximize um, asset protection. And the child will just take over as a successor trustee at a certain age. So there's so many different creative things that you can do with a trust when the trust controls your assets. And when you have minor children, um, if you have assets and it makes sense, having a trust probably is one of the tools you want to look at because um, you want the ones to be able to manage those things while they're a minor. So, yeah, I would say meeting with an attorney and if you have anything in mind where you want to do something other than just have the assets go out. 
considering or trust. Got it. Got it. Okay. I was actually going to say um, that I want to also bring up a common misconception that once you have everything in the trust, you can't take it out. If you have a revocable living trust, which most people who are just, you know, doing basic trust planning will have a revocable living trust, you can take stuff in and out the trust. There may be reasons why you don't want to, but don't think I'm putting this in the trust and I can never touch it again. So being afraid of it um, is something you want to consider and your attorney will tell you what happens if you take it back out. But it's typically a revocable living trust that you want to start with. Got you. So, so something changes and you just realize maybe that's not what you want to do. You do have the ability to take it out if it's a revocable living trust. Yeah. You know, I always ask this question anytime I talk to an, an attorney. Um, so when you... I'm not sure if you're familiar with the show Suits. It just had its last season, I think, like earlier, like this year or last year. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but are the shows on TV, are they, I know there's always entertainment value, but like, are they any, are they kind of close to how it is in real life? Or is it just like, oh my gosh, that never happens like that? Well, I didn't see Suits, but going back to Power, I will say that they were settling his estate pretty quickly. Um, so even someone who has a trust is typically quicker, not always, but it can be a quicker process than the probate process because you don't have to go to court for everything. However, it would not be before the person gets buried. I doubt that. So it's not that quick of a process. It can take a little while. Um, you know, if she was still married to him, she'd probably know what was going on a little bit more. And there are certain laws in many states about disinheriting your spouse. So that came up in power where Tasha finds out, oh, my goodness, I get nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think they were still married. I'm pretty sure New York has laws around that. So she could have got something. But <laughs> um, yeah, the, the TV shows are not completely accurate. But I will say I love when the TV shows bring it up because it is a discussion point that we can start to have and figure out what is true. And, um, you know, pop culture does help. I actually saw um, Judge Merrill and Millian last year and she was talking about you know getting on court tv and she said you know the value of being on court tv is that we're bringing a little bit of the law in everyone's home and so you know there's a little bit of extra and even those shows or whatnot but she was saying people could start to talk about issues like rental properties that comes up on there a lot or you know customer service and people complaining about that but these little issues that everyday people think about or encounter are now on tv on these people court or just Judy or whatever it is. And so even in this context, I get excited when I see in TV that they're talking about these issues. And so, yeah, um, if I ever get a deal, I'll be happy to. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I will. We'll we'll keep our fingers crossed. We can see you on TV and and bring a little law in all of our, all of our homes. Um, (laughs) For sure. For sure. And so let's just say, you know, a, a guest or excuse me, a listener has been tuned in for the last you know, 43 minutes and they're like, man, you know what? Like, this is really cool. Like I, I, I need to, I need to start really thinking about this stuff. And I know you shared, which I'll include in the show notes, your asset organizer. But if someone is at that point where they, they want to go ahead and start exploring this process, do you have any, any final words for that person and what they should kind of do as next steps after they download your organizer? Yeah. Well, <laughs> use it. Um, because I think oftentimes we'll download resources and it's, we have all the intentions in the world, but actually use it. And I'm not saying that just to be facetious and make a joke about it, but actually starting to get yourself in the habit and the process will then get you in motion to do a little bit more. 
So definitely do that. And I would say if you don't have an estate plan or you have one, but it's old, so typically three to five years, um, it may be time for a review. So schedule a consultation with an estate planning attorney. You don't have to then decide to work with them right then and there. You could say, what's your consultation? I would love to talk about estate planning. Um, I got this asset organizer that I use and wrote down my assets. Can I meet with you? And typically, um, your, these attorneys will be willing to have a consultation with you and, and you can see if it's a good fit. But at any case, you'll get more information about your specific, uh, your specific situation. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all of the, the valuable gems that you've shared today. I mean, I know this is definitely going to be uh, insanely valuable to, to my audience and listeners. So we really appreciate it. And I guess my last question is if someone's like, man, she, you know, dropped so much game and gems. I need to, I need to tap into her more often. Where can people uh, get connected with you? You can connect with me on my website, Barbie Law Online. It's not like the doll. So it's B-A-R-B-E-E lawonline.com. Um, I'm also on online on Facebook. You can also look up Barbie Law Boutique there. At Barbie Law is my Instagram page and Twitter page. So feel free to reach out to me there. I'm all over. You can't miss me. And currently, I'm licensed in Massachusetts and Connecticut. So if you're there and you want a consultation with an estate planning attorney, I would love to uh, speak with you and talk to you more about these issues. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And to all my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of the Uncensored Show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours?